Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Danielle. I'm Polyville. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the murder of Jassy Sidhu. Jassy was only 25 years old when she and her husband were brutally attacked one night in northern India. The newlyweds were on their honeymoon when the attack happened. Jassy was beaten and her throat was slit. Her husband, Mitu, was also beaten and left for dead, but he survived the attack. What may have been seen as a random act of violence was anything but. The people that were supposed to love and protect her were the ones allegedly responsible for her murder. Now, the reason we're discussing this case, even if it happened in India, and we do talk about Canadian cases here, is that Jassy was Canadian. So even though the murder itself happened in another country, it did happen to a Canadian citizen, and also the plot to commit the murder was something that was formed in Canada. They went a long ways to commit a murder. They had a, a long reach. Jassy lived in Maple Ridge, British Columbia, with her mother, Malkit, and her maternal uncle, Sergeet, on her uncle's farm. According to an episode of The Fifth Estate from 2012, her uncle Sergit had come to Canada almost 50 years earlier, and he had built a really successful multi-million dollar blueberry farm. So he was a successful businessman. Very successful, yeah. And he employed a ton of people in the area. When the Fifth Estate is discussing their farm, they actually described where the family lived as a compound, and I don't know if this is where they live, but they do show a building that almost looks like an apartment complex. It looks like Sergit's family members and also their families all lived in that same compound. What happens too, I don't know if it's the same thing in British Columbia as in New Brunswick, but a lot of those blueberry farms use seasonal workers mm-hmm. to come and do their picking and, and preparation and they've got beehives that need to be taken care of and um, they provide housing for those migrant workers so that may have been one of the reasons why they had this big compound. Yeah I think that was part of it as well because they did employ a lot of people from India. In 1994 Jassy traveled to India with her mother according to newindiaexpress.com. While she was there she met Mitu. He was handsome, he was athletic, and the two fell in love. There was a big obstacle to their love, however. Mitu was just a poor rickshaw driver, and Jassy's family would never have agreed to their relationship. So they were doomed from the very beginning. From the start. Jassy's family already had a plan for her, and that plan was that she was supposed to be married to a wealthy businessman in Canada that was 40 years her senior. So she would have been about 19 years old at the time. That's troubling. Yeah, very troubling. 
So Jassy returned to Canada, Me Too stayed in India, but they did keep in touch. She went to beauty school and that's where she confided in some friends and in a teacher about her relationship. And she also told them how frightened she was that her mother and her uncle would go to great lengths to stop the relationship from progressing. She told them that she was afraid for her life. So she knew that already that she was in danger. It does look like it, yeah. So Mitu and Jassy were talking over a number of years, so we're not just talking about Romeo and Juliet, like two very young lovers who take a spontaneous decision. They met in 1994. In May of 2000, they decided they couldn't live apart any longer, so she returned to India, and they secretly got married. Danger. She didn't have the chance to stay and enjoy her married life for long. She had to come up with a plan for the rest of their lives, essentially. So following the marriage, she came back to Canada, and she had to try and figure out how she could also bring Me Too to Canada so he could live with her. But things really didn't work out the way they had planned. So when she got back home, her family found out somehow about the secret marriage, and then a few things happened kind of all at once. Well, I suspect that where a family has that much power over one of their children, they probably had other family members or friends in India that was keeping an eye on her while she was there. I think that's exactly what happened, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but they seem to have quite a bit of power and money in India as well, so they still had affiliations there. So I think they did have people basically spying on her. Once the family found out about the marriage, they actually contacted the authorities in India and told them that Me Too had kidnapped and raped their daughter. So he was put in prison. Then they confined Jassy to her room. She wasn't allowed out of the house. And according to other family members who were interviewed in the 2012 Fifth Estate episode, she was also beaten by her family. Very disturbing. And it kind of reminds me when we talked about the Shafia family. I was thinking the same thing. One of the daughters ended up being confined to her room, not allowed contact with anyone. Somehow, Jassy actually managed to escape, though, and she fled to India to be with Me Too. She's a brave woman. Yeah. To have the rape charges against him dropped, she basically had to testify and swear an affidavit saying that none of that was true, that it was all made up, and he was released from prison. Uh, from what I could understand, the charges were then dropped and she and Me Too was reunited, were reunited. Jassy and Me Too were spending some time together, finally. Um, they were probably, I mean, I'm assuming they were probably trying to figure out what the rest of their life would look like. How could they stay safe and take control of their lives? And where did they have to go in order to do that? I mean, it was exactly a lot of obstacles. Yeah. Because if they're being watched in India and the families in Canada and they're very rich, it kind of limits your options there. Plus, there's all sorts of regulations. Even if you want to leave and go to a, a neutral country, as far as the family is concerned, that the family doesn't have any reach there. There's exactly. It's not like you can just move somewhere. You need to get a visa, a residency, all different, all different kinds of things. 
On June 8th, 2000, Me Too and Jassy were traveling in the evening to go visit some of Me Too's family when they were attacked by several people. They were hit with bats and swords. They really never had a chance. Swords? Yeah, swords. Me Too was left for dead and Jassy was dragged a few kilometers away. They were found the next day. Jassy was dead and her throat was slit. But Me Too was still alive. When friends and family in Canada heard about the attack, it really didn't take long for a lot of them to become suspicious and point the finger to Sergeet and Malkit for masterminding the attack. It might seem strange because you're blaming people that are all the way back in Canada for something that happened in India, but like we mentioned, they still had ties in India, they still had affiliations and some pull, so a lot of people thought that they were behind, basically that they'd paid for the attack to happen. Well, that's almost like uh, when you'd listen to old mobsters and a mob hit in another country, you know, they have ties around the world, so... If that family was living well off in Canada, they were probably sending money to other family members or friends and had a bunch of informants there and people that would do whatever they asked of them. Right. And apparently Sergeet and Malkit had been telling people that they were very powerful in India and they would be able to get Jassy even there. The Indian police didn't waste any time with this case and they actually quickly made some arrests. So they arrested several people and charged them with the murder. But one of the people they arrested was Surjeet's employee. His name was Darshan Singh. And he was basically helping to oversee the family farm that was in India. So he had really close ties to Surjeet. As the Indian police looked at things more closely, they discovered that there had been 147 phone calls between Surjeet and the men charged with Jassy's murder during the few days leading up to the killings, and 79 of those phone calls were placed directly to Darshan Singh. They had a lot of things to discuss. A lot, apparently. The Indian police charged Surjeet and Malkit with the murders. They were also charged along with this other group of people they'd arrested, but because they were in Canada, living in Canada, there was nothing much the Indian police could do. The 5th Estate actually reached out to the RCMP to see what they were doing about the matter. So initially, the RCMP just told them, like, if the Indian police are not requesting our assistance, there's really nothing we can do. This has nothing to do with us. But the 5th Estate actually looked into the law in regards to this, and according to them, Sergeet and Malkit could have been charged with conspiracy to commit murder because if they'd planned the killing that had happened on Canadian soil so the conspiracy had taken place in Canada therefore the RCMP could have charged them with that so they had broken Canadian laws and could have gone to jail based on that without even having to extradite them to India they could have been charged the Indian police continued with their investigation and they discovered that Jassy's killers had been paid $50,000 to kill her. They also found a fax that Jassy had sent the police in India asking for their help and protection because she was in fear for her life. So, you know, when she's desperate to the point that she's reaching out 
for protection. It's sad to think of how stressful her life was. And how deep that love must have been. Of course, to take all those risks. There's an investigative journalist, um, and actually there's a couple of them that wrote a book called, I think it's called Justice for Jassy, talking about this case. And they compare it to Romeo and Juliet, which like I said earlier, it's not quite that, like it was obviously more serious, but obviously they would have done anything for one another and all they wanted was the freedom to be together. And I think the couple are probably, were probably lucky that they had found each other and were together for the right reasons. Yeah. And to see it just wiped out like that is really troubling. For something that most of us just take for granted, which is the right to love who you want to love. Yes. The men that had been charged with her murder were found guilty, but the way that the court process works in India, there was the possibility of several appeals. So before you can actually breathe a sigh of relief, you have to go through the appeals process to see if those charges will will stick, which I guess is kind of similar in Canada. You do have appeals process as well. About a decade after the murder happened, the RCMP finally acknowledged that they actually did have jurisdiction over the case, but because it was an ongoing investigation, they could not comment any further on it, which is normal. I know they don't often comment on open investigations. But 10 years later is an awful long time. And that's the thing. A lot, well, probably not enough, but a lot of people were actually really pushing, trying to get the RCMP to do something. Um, Jassy's principal was constantly reaching out, like from her old high school, was constantly reaching out and trying to see what was going on with the case, make sure she wasn't forgotten, trying to get the case pushed forward. Again, there were journalists and things that were like researching and trying to bring this information public so people were aware of what was going on. But it's sad to think that your life, the person does not deserve justice until all of these people that were pushing for justice have proven that justice is deserved. I know, and it's a complicated situation if a Canadian citizen gets murdered in another country, and it further complicates it if it was a murder for hire. That's a whole other element, but again, it doesn't mean that things shouldn't move forward. No, at the end of it all, it's a human whose life was taken away, regardless of where they are. We should be getting the same justice. So more time went by, and to most, it felt like nothing was being done about Surjeet and Malkit's involvement in Jassy's death. The Fifth Estate made two episodes about this case. I think one was in 2012 and the other one was in 2017. In the latest episode, they actually found out some very interesting and very disturbing information. Me Too, who was still in India, had been put back into prison following yet another rape charge. Against him? Yes. From another woman? Yes. So apparently the way it works in India, if you're charged with rape, you're not going to be getting bail. You're basically held in prison until your trial, and that could take years. He had been in prison for years at this point. And when the Fifth Estate went to speak to him, he said none of it was true. The rape charge had come from, again, from Jassy's parents. It wasn't true, and he vowed that as long as he was alive, he'd fight for justice for his wife. Some people were really on his side and were investigating 
the alleged rape claim. And it eventually came out that the, the family of the woman who'd laid the rape charge against Me Too was actually employed, I believe, on the family farm in India, so on Surjit's family farm. That's so wrong on so many levels. So not only that, but when they finally checked the forensic evidence and the DNA evidence, it didn't match Me Too. And the woman who'd put forward the charge admitted that she'd been paid to put in a rape allegation against him. So he spent four years behind bars before being released. On top of everything else he's had to go through and survive. Yeah, and you know, when I say it's wrong on so many levels, you're bringing into question all of the other women that come forward that are often not believed. So, you know, there's so many things wrong with that. Right. I don't remember exactly what the statistics are in Canada, but it's a very, very small percentage of women who put forward a sexual assault allegation or a rape allegation that is untrue. But those are the cases that harm everyone else's allegations because people hang on to those. Like, these are the norm when it's just... Again, it's such a small percentage, but then everyone looks at those examples and it ruins everybody else's credibility. Right, and those are the ones that tend to get the coverage. Exactly. In the fifth estate episode, they also discuss the fact that some of the men that had been charged with Jassy's murder at this point were actually released on bail while awaiting the appeals process. So they weren't behind bars. So apparently you can't get out of prison on bail for rape, but you definitely can for murder. And I, I'm not arguing one versus the other necessarily, but in this case, it just seems ridiculous that those men that were charged with the murder were released. While a victim of an attempted murder is sitting in jail. Yeah. And these men, the men that were charged, weren't only charged with the murder, they were actually found guilty of it. But because they were allowed appeals, they'd been released. And this includes Darshan Singh. And not only had he been released on bail, but he'd also lied about having a criminal history and had been granted permanent residency in Canada after being sponsored by his daughter. So the Fifth Estate actually got information saying that he was in Canada and they were sort of able to corroborate that he'd been to Canada once he was released on bail. But apparently he, ne- he, doesn't, he didn't reside in Canada. He'd come several times for visits, but he wasn't living here despite having his permanent residency. And I honestly think that them putting pressure and asking questions about him being there may have been the reason he wasn't living in Canada. Sure, and... I question why he was even let into the country. I don't know how he could just tick a box saying that he didn't have a permanent record and that was that. They didn't look into it any further. Yes, somebody dropped the ball on that one. And you think about people who want to come to the country for various legitimate reasons and fight so hard for so long and jump through so many hoops... There's something that doesn't feel right here. There seems to be an imbalance that shouldn't exist. Of course, and there's some people that are risking their lives and their families' lives to try to get to a safe country and are, you know, falling out of boats or a boat sinks because it's overloaded or they're starving at sea because the country they went to doesn't want them and they're pushed on down the line and the system is broken. The system needs to be looked at again. And I do think in Canada... 
we do a much better job than certain other countries at helping people come to our country, but I think there's definite issues with the system as well. According to a CBC News article from June 2020, Surjit and Malkit were both finally extradited to India in 2019 and now await trial. So I don't have a lot of details as to how this happened. Part of me also wonders why maybe the RCMP was being very close-mouthed about what was going on was because they were trying to get them extradited. Apparently getting extradited to India is like not a thing that usually happens because there is their police force does have a lot of corruption in it, so Canada doesn't tend to extradite back to India. So possibly the reason they weren't being charged here because they were trying to push the extradition process. And I can see if it's a country that you don't normally extradite to why that process would take a long time. But you have to understand on the flip side the frustration that everyone must have felt it took 20 years you know the police are being criticized because it took so long i suspect the last thing they wanted to do was to make it public that they were actually going to send them back to india or working towards that yeah and you find out after the fact so it's done already so regardless of what any of the canadian people have to say about them being sent back to india it's done And a lot of people were quite shocked that this extradition actually happened. But it's believed that both Surjit and Malkit are free on bail at the moment while they await trial. A lot of people believe that they won't be convicted because Darshan Singh has since gone through his appeals process and his conviction was overturned. So he's a free man. So a lot of people believe because he wasn't convicted... Jassy's uncle and mother will not be convicted either. The family, if they still had that much power in India, may have been happy to go back to India and not have to face charges in Canada. Possibly. I mean, I think there's probably corruption everywhere in the world to different degrees, but if there is the ability, I don't think you can pay someone off in Canada to have charges dropped, and I don't know anything about the police force in India other than what I read for this case. But if that is a possibility, they might actually have the means to make things go in their favor. Right, and would rather take their chances there than here. Yeah. According to Fabian Dawson, um, he was quoted in a CBC article discussing the case, and he's written extensively about this case as well. And he says because of how the system works in India and how the appeals process works, It's more than likely another five to seven years before we actually know the final conclusion of this case. And again, with COVID, that might be pushed even longer because people have other priorities at the moment. Sure, and um, how old are these people? In their 70s. Will they even be around in order to be convicted? It's hard to say. So justice isn't served there? Nope. I think it's a positive thing that the case took a step forward in 2019. I'm not sure, like, I don't feel really confident that Jassy will ever receive any kind of justice. No, I'm not either. I do think that all those journalists that broke the case, that talked about it, I think Jassy's principal and her friends need to be acknowledged for all the work they did to bring this to the public and make people understand what had happened. Because I think it could have been one of those cases that was a little blip on our radar and just went away because we didn't know the details behind it. Sure, and it takes a lot of courage on those people's part because 
um, it would be easy to give up. We're going to finish up tonight with our moment of kindness. I feel like I haven't had a moment to share myself for a couple weeks, and I do have one for this week. I had a situation happen that was almost a bad interaction, but turned out really well in the end. I was on the phone with a customer at work the other day, and they were inquiring about booking an appointment for something. And what they were saying didn't really make sense. So I was just asking follow-up questions to try and figure out how to book them. And each question I asked, the person was getting more annoyed at me, like because I didn't understand immediately, they were, they were getting very frustrated and making that quite clear. So on like the third question I asked and I could hear them getting mad, I just said, I'm really sorry, I'm not trying to make things difficult for you. I just don't understand what you want and I just want to make sure that whatever I'm booking you is the proper kind of appointment so that when you show up, you're getting what you need. As soon as I said that, she turned around completely. She said, I'm really sorry. I don't know why I got so frustrated. And then we kept on with the conversation, um, which went really well. It was very polite. We talked for a few minutes. The rest of the encounter was quite pleasant. And at the end of the call, she thanked me for helping her and said, thank you for being patient with me. I'm sorry about what happened. I said, no problem. And I honestly really appreciated, first of all, the fact that she apologized and recognize that I don't think she was recognizing her behavior at the time, but did realize, oh yes, my, my voice was getting frustrated and terse. And I'm really thankful for her, for her apology and for being so polite afterwards as well, because sometimes those encounters don't go so well. And even when you tell someone, oh, sorry, like I'm just trying to help, sometimes that doesn't help the situation at all so I think it was really big of her to apologize and turn that conversation around and it was really appreciated on my part yeah and I think it also puts the emphasis on clearing up a situation so that both parties get to understand what each other is saying mm-hmm. and at the end of it all both parties are satisfied yeah I mean I feel like we both hung up feeling 100% okay about that call. And again, I felt really good that she'd actually been, that she actually apologized and recognized that she was getting terse and it doesn't happen often in customer service. And I think it was really big of her to do that. And I think the other important thing in that is at the end of it, you had a better day because of it. And the next person that she spoke to may have been spoken to a lot more kindly. Absolutely. It definitely helped. Um, I mean, certain days I have several bad experiences in a row or I can even have one during a day but the 27 that were good I'll forget about because of the one bad one so she definitely ended up in the good experiences in my day and again I'll remember her because we had a big turnaround in our conversation and it could have gone completely differently. That's great. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. You can find us on Patreon now under Crime and Mystery Canada, and we're on Instagram under the same name. You can also write us at crimeandmysterycanada at gmail.com. As always, thanks to everyone who's been listening. Stay safe out there and have a good night. Good night.